Welcome to the Family Biz Show. According to Family Enterprise USA, family businesses in the U.S. account for over 64% of GDP and employ 62% of the workforce. In other words, they are the backbone of our economy. But success doesn't come easy. Only 13% are operating in the third generation. The Family Biz Show is here to help. Listen in to hear stories from other family businesses and industry thought leaders so that you and your family not only survive, but thrive. Welcome, everybody, to the Family Biz Show. I am your host, Michael Columbus, with Family Wealth and Legacy in Rochester, New York. I hope everybody's doing well. We have a very sweet show for you, pun intended. We've got Michael Speech from Speech Candy, um, and it's the Speech Family Candy Shop in Syracuse, New York. Um, Michael didn't know this when we you know, reached out to him, but I've known the Speech Family candy shop as you know from as a family business for years um and so it was really cool i'm really excited to get to do this um welcome michael uh, thank you michael for having me i'm totally totally happy to be here actually just taking a moment <laughs> Good. so i before we dive into the show i just wanna i went out to your website and um i thought there was something on your website that i just wanted to share with everybody um, that I thought was fan, you know, wonderful. It's, and then on your team, talking about the team and your family, it says the first fantastic thing about the Speech Family Candy Shop is that it's a family-run business that has been handed down through the generations. You are the fourth generation um, running the family, you know, running the family candy shop. I love that. The second wonderful thing is that it's a family-run business, and we haven't killed each other yet. And um, I just think that that is exactly where you're supposed to be um mm -hmm. so I, I really found that that you're you know laying it out there and vulnerable and and sharing the, you know the pros and cons of family and that's why this show exists so really excited um we have a, a a small tradition most people have a different route you know how they end up in the family candy shop or in the family business is different for everybody and so, you know, take us through what was your journey? Was this like, you know, from the day that I was born, I knew I was going to do this or what was your journey to get here and what were kind of the stops along the way? Okay. So, uh, you know, obviously I grew up in the business, you know, my parents were the third generation to run uh, the, the family business. And I actually have pictures of me in a crib and my parents in the background making candy. So it's like, I mean, that kind of, you know, definitely been there my entire life. It's been a part of my life. Uh, and then uh, of course, everyone in the family was like, oh, you're gonna take over when you get older. You're gonna take over when you get older. And I'm like, is anyone? Yeah, and I'm like, uh, did anyone ask me? Like, <laughs> so I uh, got to a point where I said, you know what? I saw what a family business does to the family. And so I kind of was a little rebellious. I actually uh, said, you know, no, when I got to my teenage years, I kind of took a step back. I wasn't coming down to help during the holidays. I wasn't around to, you know, help make the candy or sell it. I just basically said, you know what? I need to take a step back and do my own thing. 
So all throughout, probably from when I was 16, right about the time you could drive, <laughs> um, right on through till college, I basically rebelled against the family business a lot. Um, I acknowledged its existence and my friends were like, oh, your family runs a candy store. Yeah, they do. And I rolled my eyes and just move on to the next topic. Uh, <laughs> so I, uh, I went into uh, performance. I actually did a lot of theater and music in high school. And so I went to OCC for two years under uh, the electronic media and communications track. So doing television, radio. And then after that, I graduated um, high honors from OCC and then basically got a full ride to a private school. I went to Ithaca College for uh, production, uh, theater arts production okay. and design. So uh, that was kind of where my passion was at the time. I, I loved the teamwork. I loved that experience. I loved the creative process to create something and you know, do it as a team. Uh, and until I got into the real world <laughs> and then realized how much politics played a role. So once we got into that world and uh, you know, realizing you know, the difference between a union house and a non-union house and where I needed to be for my creativity and for my expression, uh, I literally burnt myself out, uh, almost thinking about just the logistics of being in a profession that I was ch choosing to be in. So I, uh, I took, a, I took a, a nice deep breath and basically uh, closed out anything I was doing. Um, I was mentoring, I was working with a mentor on Broadway. I had a whole bunch of off-Broadway stuff ready to go. I was doing summer stock at the same time finished all those projects and basically came home and had a nervous breakdown. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, uh, it was um, that summer I came home, I moved back into my parents' house and I think I slept for three weeks. I really do not remember the first part of uh, August um, of that year, it was August of 2007. Okay. So, uh, and then oddly enough, oh. yeah, it, it's, it's one of those things where you've invested all this time and money, I mean, lots of money, into doing something that you thought you loved and then finding out that that wasn't the case. Uh, but uh, then I got put into a really weird situation where it was right before the New York State Fair. And our family has had a stand there forever. And we not only do we have like a food stand, but we also obviously had a candy stand where we would sell candy as well. And my mom came to me one morning at like five in the morning. She was on her way out to the fair to clean up. And she was like, Michael, I know you're going through a lot, but I could really use your help. Could you make some fudge for us? So we have some fudge made for the fair just to get us started. Just a batch or two, no problem. I'm like, okay. So the next morning, reluctantly, I got up, got a shower. I think it was the first shower I had in weeks. Um, grabbed, my, <laughs> grabbed my stuff, grabbed my computer, grabbed my music. And I went down to the candy store and... Uh, 10 o'clock that night, my mom comes here and basically relieves me and says, are you okay? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And on one of our big marble tables, it's like a 10 by 10 foot marble table where we used to make candy. Um, I had made almost five or 600 pounds of fudge, way more fudge than we would ever need an entire fair. But it just became, it was like, kind of like having that realization, like a light bulb goes off. I was just enjoying myself. I was enjoying the process. I knew the process because I had been doing it my entire life. And that's kind of how it came to be. And by November, I was running the candy store. Wow. So it was almost kind of like therapeutic. I'm in this spot that I didn't expect to be in. It kind of stunk. I went back to my roots and was just like, 
I don't have to think about this. I know what I'm doing. I enjoy the process. And that helped you kind of make that turn. And then you're, the rest is history, as they say. Exactly. Yeah, I, and it was definitely, I mean, it's going to be, wow, 15 years um, this November. So, I mean, just coming around the corner and um, yeah, it's, it's crazy. It That's really cool. is. I love it. Do you mind, and, and feel free to say, not going there with anything that I asked, but you said, you know, I, I got to be, you know, 14, 15, and I started to feel that I was going to rebel because I saw how the family business worked. What does that mean for you? Um, and it's not all family businesses, but I mean, our business being candy in specific, uh, is a very seasonal holiday. I mean, it's a very seasonal product. So right. all of the, all of the, all the big holidays you're working. Uh, so how starting in Halloween, going into Christmas, Valentine's day, Easter, uh, all of those times when like families would be getting together or going on vacation or doing parties or whatever. We didn't have that. Um, you know, here we are trying to make everyone else's holiday special. Right. And then when we get to our day, so like Christmas day, we're all so tired. We don't even wake up to open Christmas presents, you know, like it, it, it's very jarring. And then also, I think when I look back and I think I asked my mom about this the other day, I was like, when did we take our first family vacation? Like once the girls were born, when was the first time we actually, and I think it was when I was 14. Wow. My father finally splurged and we went to uh, Disney world in the summer, you know, like when there's no holiday going on and the candy store isn't busy and before the New York state fair. So, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, and it, it was one of those things where you don't realize, you know, in a family business and in a small family business, how much of the business kind of takes over your life versus you living. So that was the thing that I kind of wanted to rebel against a little bit. Got it. It's funny. I mean, you and I are a lot alike. So my father, you know, was in the financial services industry um, ever since I was, you know, little. Um, Trying to think, he made he was in worked for the diocese of Rochester, and then um, married my mom, who already had two kids, and my and he was like, well, let's see, I don't think that salary's gonna work when I've got a, a family immediately. So um, he went out and started, you know, his practice back in the seventies. But I would, you know, he would come home for dinner, but then he'd go back to the office, and and so I watched that, and I'm like, I'm not doing that. I'm not. I'm gonna. I'm going to go do something else. And I, I didn't come back. I didn't, you know, start my practice until I was in the third, in my thirties. Um, I really, you know, took a, a long route to go around doing it. But I think having that moment of I'm not doing it and choosing to come back is so different than always being in there. And I, and I get, you know, like I, I, pros and cons to both, right? There is no right or wrong. It just is. But, you know, people that had that experience where they're like, I didn't think it was an option. I just, you know, wanted to do this oh, because, because they loved it is different than those people that did it because they didn't feel they had a choice. And then they burned out and didn't ask themselves the question of what do I want to do? Yeah, um, yeah. So it's I think that's an important distinction. You and I both had that moment to be able to go away, do our own thing and then say, All right, I, I want to come back. This is kind of fun. I love serving the people that we, that we serve. I like, I'm, I feel like I'm an extension of their family and definitely an extension of the, you know, the advisory committee and, you know, doing the, those things and helping them see things differently because I'm, 
geeking out about my technical financial stuff and like just like you geeking out about the making of the candy and creating some things so yeah. do you mind let's let's talk about how the company started four generations ago what was the you know what are the kind of the, the highlights of the history how's that and with it, okay i know you could talk for three hours about all the stories but give us the the five minute version gotcha the reader digest version i get it um, does that even exist anymore? Uh, but uh, no, uh, so my great-grandfather uh, started the business. His name was also Michael, uh, okay. but uh, obviously our name got changed. It was an Ellis Island change. Um, there's a lot of conspiracy other of, of whether the family chose to make the change or that whether that was a change that was made for them. Uh, but all of the cousins kind of had variations, but my great-grandfather came over in the late 1800s with a bunch of cousins from Italy. Uh, and uh, basically started working, doing a few projects here and there, um, and then actually went back to Italy for a little while um, after being here for a bit with his family. Uh, went back to Italy, did some stuff over there. I think he actually served in the Italian military. And then after he was that, to finish that, he ended up coming back to the US. And that's when he finally like landed in Syracuse and that kind of became his home. Uh, got married to my great-grandmother who was living down in Cortland at the time. So we have a lot of uh, Cortland connections as well. And he started doing random jobs. Like he was working with his relatives that had already been established here. One was a mason. One was a guy who had a lumber mill. Uh, and just doing those random jobs. And it wasn't until he got a job working for Coughlin Brothers, which is where he kind of learned the basic of under the set, you know, essentials of making a cough drop, which is hard candy. Sure. So he basically learned the basis of a lot of, you know, hard candy recipes right there. Um, working for Coughlin brothers, which is actually right down the street from where we currently are on the North side. Uh, and after being there for one or two years, he ended up borrowing a thousand dollars, which back then, 1920, I think the average family income was like $3,200. So if you borrow $1,000, that's a lot of money. Right. So, um, but was able to borrow that money, was able to buy equipment, and he started making candy right out of the front part of his house. Um, and that went right on through um, all the 20s. And even during the Depression, and funny fact is, you know, families couldn't get all of their rations or was rationed out, you know, their, what they could actually acquire right. but producers like my grand my great grandfather who was actually making a product for a consumable product um their rations were different so he was still able to get sugar and cocoa and nuts when other people couldn't um so that he could do that process and continue to be open so he all through the depression we have documents that they were doing pretty well actually um just to maintain the family at that point that's interesting that's interesting yeah so uh and we, uh, you know, obviously every single child, and he had 10 kids, had a hand at some point in the business. Uh, so uh, my great uncle John and my great uncle uh, Joe both kind of ran the business at different times. And the interesting part of us was um, we did not actually have a storefront. It was all business to business transactions. Okay. So even though we've been around for over 100 years, our name isn't as widely, you know, prevalent as like Gertrude Hawk and all these other ones that might have had a shorter life, but just because they were in front of the consumer, we were always in front of the business owner. Got it. So 
uh, it's a very interesting way to look at it, you know, that a lot of other candy stores are like, well, why aren't you more well-known? I'm like, because we weren't branding ourselves that way. It was just making candy and getting it to a customer who was a business owner, and then they would then sell it to the consumer. Uh, and that went on for years and years and years until my parents took over in the 80s. Okay. So in the 80s, when my parents took over, that was the first time they actually had a brick and mortar retail store. That you could go in and actually shop and actually purchase candy. So it was really uh, going from like a wholesale style business into retail. Uh, the only problem with that, which they found out in the 90s and in the early 2000s was, again, you're dependent on the season. So you're, you're really busy from October through April, but then the rest of the year, you got to have something else. So uh, when I took over, the big thing was going back from the retail and making an evening out to the wholesale side, um, which made the business more viable tw 12 months out of the year instead of just six. Okay. So when you talk about the wholesale side, is that like, is it like um, white pack, you know, what do they call, you know, patch, packaging it, white labeling it for other people or business to business or? Yeah. So um, right now our wholesale, the, ma the majority of our wholesale is business to business with our branding. So it's speech family candy shop packaging right. with our, with our product in it. Um, we do have a few collaborations that we do. One of them is with Recess Coffee, another local business here in Syracuse. Um, and we have a collab product called Recess Chocolate. So it's their coffee, our chocolate, and we brand it together. Um, I mean, we can do some private labeling, but right now a big thing that we're noticing is that people want the small business aspect of product. So the fact that we aren't doing as much private labeling, I think is more interesting to our, our clients now. Okay. Very cool. Um, through the years, obviously, I mean, you, when you talk about most people, when we talk about obstacles, when they talk, you know, if they go back that far, the depression was always one of them. So it's really, you're one of the first that I've spoken to where, you know, you've been around for that many years and the depression wasn't. But I'm, I have to believe that through the years, there's stories of, yeah, there's been a few obstacles here or there. What were some of the obstacles that your family faced through the years? So a big thing was, uh, a lot of it was the fact that the business really didn't have any structure as far as, you know, who was running it. You know, it was basically, oh, you know, John wants to run it now. So everything moves over to John's house. And then, uh, you know, oh, Joe is going to do it now. So everything gets moved to Joe. Or if the family moved to Cortland, it, so did the business. So uh, there's a, a lot of the varying things there. I know that um, when all of, I think the majority of the brothers because there were six brothers no i'm sorry seven brothers um i think they all were in the service at one point or another so when they went into the military service you know obviously the business had to be handled by someone right. else their their you know their spouses or their children or you know maybe one of the sisters took it up so uh, i think that there was a lot of it's a lot of like moving like a tetris piece like how is this going to fit this year you know <laughs> there was very it wasn't like there was any rhyme or reason to a lot of you know the way the business survived it just kind of miraculously made it until you know my parents were like hey let, let's let let us try it for a little bit <laughs> that's very cool talk about you know having to pivot 
that's a whole different definition of having to pivot every you know every few years or whatever. That's oh, uh, yeah. that's fun. Um, through the years, as we look at you know the speech family candy shop, what are some of the things that when you hear the stories that just make you swell up with the pride over what you know the family's accomplished, whether it be recent or you know historically? Uh, God, there's so many stories. Um, I think one of my favorite stories, though, is um, like just the, like a customer based story. Uh, we had a gentleman that used to come in every Valentine's Day. And uh, the first time he ever came in, uh, he bought a heart box, like a nice size heart box filled with chocolates for his wife for Valentine's Day. And uh, the following year, he came back and he actually still had the box. And we started talking and come to find out that he loved his wife, his wife loved the box and she kept really good care. After she ate all the candy, she put tissue paper inside of it and wrapped it back up in the same outer box that it came in and took really good care of it. And he was like, is there any chance I can refill this box? And I was like, absolutely. You know, and it was our box. I mean, our product, she took very good care of it. So we opened it back up, filled it up for him, just charged him for the chocolate and he was off. And that went on for several years. And at a certain point, I mean, I was just expecting him to show up at that point. You know, like every year it was kind of a really nice thing. Um, years later, uh, his wife comes in with the box and come to find out that uh, she was like, you know, he passed away this past um, winter. And this was such a great tradition that they started. You know, every year he would steal the box out of the house. She wouldn't know the box was missing. Um, he'd fill it and bring it back. And on Valentine's Day, it would be sitting out on the table, you know, when she woke up and she was like, it's such a great tradition and I want to keep that going. So um, she came in and she was like, I'm going to go over and visit my grandchildren. And so I thought it'd be really great to bring kind of a tradition that grandpa started, mm. you know? So that was really uh, like, you know, tugging at your heartstrings on top of the fact that, you know, I've seen this guy every year for seven, eight years you know, to not have, you know, to now meet his wife, who was wonderful. And she's come in over and over again. Um, she actually just recently passed away uh, a few years back. Oh, but um, so cute. that story is one of those things. And I think it says something about a tradition. Um, you know, here I am making candy and selling it. And I have no idea what happens. Most of the time, I don't understand. I don't know what happens after the fact. Yeah. And here I am. I've become part of this family without even knowing it. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of one of the wonderful things I love about being a small family business is that you're not just existing for yourself, you're existing for others, uh, which is kind of uh, beautiful uh, and unexpected. Yeah. And I think, you know, your heart, you know, and hard work go into the candy that you guys make. And so, you know, that's why you get people, you, you know, you, you, a labor of love turns out this wonderful candy. And through that, they're like, this is great. And so the ripple effect of, you know, the candy that you make and the, you know, the sweetness that you put in there and it just makes a, a huge impact more so than you probably think. You know, I think we all, when we look at each of our businesses, I think we underestimate the ripple effect that we have on the customers that we serve. Um, and, and I think it's really important that we need to remember that, you know, what is the ripple effect of what we do 
that's pretty cool because now it was it was just you know it was husband and wife then it was grandma and grandkids so that story was passed on to them as well. I bet you there, I, I wouldn't be surprised if someday a kid comes in and tells that story that says, my grandma used to, told us about this story. So we're back. That's pretty cool. Yeah. What's it like working with family every day? Big cabinet back there. Um, <laughs> For those no. who are listening to the show, uh, Michael is standing behind or in front of the locked liquor cabinet. It's locked because, you know, they when you're making some of these cordials and some of the other candies, right, you're using the liquor in those candies. But uh, so the joke is, you know, when we're working with family, we may need that liquor sometimes to get us through. Well, there's a reason that the cabin is literally right outside my office. So <laughs> it's like on my way there. <laughs> no. Uh, Family is great. You know, one of the things that I think that um, a lot of businesses have a hard time with the challenges is when you do have family like siblings working together is there's not a distinct definition, like a line that is drawn, you know, like there's a point where you're my sister, but there's also a point where you're my employee. And that that's very, it's, it's one of those hard conversations that a lot of people would rather not have than even try to tackle. Uh, but my thing is, if you don't tackle it up front, then you're going to have a whole bunch of problems later on. Uh, she and I, we do butt heads a lot. Uh, seven times out of 10, I get my way. <laughs> the other three, she gets her way. Okay. Um, well, actually, the other two, she gets my way. And then my mother gets her way once every 10 times. Okay. So uh, it's the dynamic between us is really great. She has strengths that she's really good at and she's able to you know pow product out like if you leave her to her own devices she can make almost every order that ever comes in the door um i might have to come up behind her and clean but that's uh you know we know that uh so we know our strengths and we know where we stand and i think we both understand our working relationship really really well um and she keeps me in check where I will also keep her in check. Like sometimes she's like, do we really need to order this? I don't think it's going to sell. And I go back and forth over it. And then maybe it goes the other way. And she'll be like, I really want to tackle this project first. I'm like, you should do this one first. And then this project second. And this is why. Right. Uh, so it, there's a nice balance. I mean, we do, we are still siblings. We are sister and brother. Yeah. Uh, so we, we do, you know, we do get into each other's heads sometimes, which, you know, can be fun in and of itself. But um, then you come back and like, you know, she knows I'm here early in the morning and she'll bring me a coffee randomly. Or, you know, like I'm out at a meeting and on the way back, I'll stop and pick up something like her favorite lunch, like the day before her birthday or something. So like we always are, we know where we stand with each other. And we can pivot when we need to. And, you know, we, again, there's both, there's things that we do really well. Yes. She can say no really well. I can't. So <laughs> one of the things that strikes me based on what, you know, just listening to some of the historical stories and whatnot is there's, like you said, different people running the business at different times within the family. And I'm sure that there were times that it caused some stress, but it, but it sounds like being able to say, okay, now's your time is something that has been a gift that's been given through the years. Like, how is it with your, you know, your mom used to run the business and now you're running the business. How has that worked? Uh, you know, 
when when all of it kind of came about, it really came about when uh, probably in the I want to say the early two thousands. Um, my mom and my dad had been running the business for twenty some odd years, and they had realized after putting all of their heart and soul and money and effort and blood, sweat and tears into this business that was doing pretty fairly well, uh, that there was nothing for them. Mm-hmm. So my parents didn't have any retirement. They didn't have anything to fall back on other than the equity of the building and the business. They, um, at one point they didn't have health insurance and my father's health was not always the best. So my mom and dad, well, my mom ultimately made the decision to go get another full-time job. Okay. Uh, so she actually went out and got a full-time job with benefits and pay, but then was also trying to run the business too. Wow. So she was trying to do like 80 hour weeks and, you super know, it, yeah. And it's super, super hard. And she, I mean, she's incredible to this day. She still comes down and helps me after she leaves her job. Um, I don't ask her to, but it's her, it's her way of kind of being involved. Uh, but she, um, and that was something that they decided on. So when I came into taking over the business, it really came down to that summer, you know, your mother has to work and she needs to be able to focus on this and my health isn't good. This is what we're, we're either thinking about liquidating the business and selling it or just closing down and getting rid of everything. So I kind of just fell into that conversation at the end of the New York state fair that year. Okay. And uh, my sisters both had full-time corporate jobs. My, my one sister, Connie, who works with me now, she was trying to help my mom as much as she could, but she was also working a 40-hour job. So um, it, it kind of just happened that way. So when I took over, my, my mom was like, here you go. Here's the keys. You know what you're doing. Um, my dad but was like- You've been making candy for years. Yeah. Again, it was kind of like, at this point, it was in my blood, literally. Because uh, I had probably been around sugar so much, uh, <laughs> but um, my dad was like, "Do what you can, and we'll talk about it afterwards." Because I knew he was thinking, "Okay, well, once you make it profitable again, then we can talk." <laughs> <So> <laughs> but uh, we, you know, I kind of went in with this mindset: I'm going to give it my all for three years okay. and see where we're at. Like, at least I can say that I tried to keep the business afloat. You know, there's um, the one thing I don't think. Uh, family members talk about, especially when it's a family business, a generational family business, is this legacy guilt. Yeah. Um, and it, I don't even know if that's a real term, but that's what oh, I call you, it. You, you hit it in the nail on the head. Go with it. Keep t- telling us about it. It's this feeling of like, okay, so all of these people prior to me ran this business and made it successful and made it, you know, something that they could survive and live on. And then you have, you know, people like my great grandfather and my great aunts and uncles who were running it through the depression. So now you run it through the most devastating time of our country. And here I have it in my hand and now I have to keep it alive. And here I am, I killed my first Tamagotchi within the first five minutes. You remember Tamagotchis? Dead, like five minutes gone. And here I am running a hundred year old business, well, 90 some odd year old business back then. Yeah. I, I had so much stress and anxiety. Like I was like counting my pennies every night, like trying to make sure things were working. And it's something that we don't talk about enough because I had that weight on me for so long. Yeah. And it wasn't until I got to, I had gotten into a really great opportunity and started a really great partnership with another company um, where I finally felt that relief. Um, and a lot of that came from my mother saying, you're doing more than I ever could 
have accomplished when I ran the business. And that was the first pat on the back, but also kind of like a, like a slap across her face. You know, like I felt like it's good and bad. Like, right, right, right. You know, I want to be successful and I want you to be proud of me, but I also don't want you to feel guilty that you couldn't accomplish what I accomplished. So then the legacy guilt continues, but now it's going the opposite direction. Right. It's so. funny when, as you're talking about that, I just, I see that so often the amount of pressure talked about or not talked about it. Some of it is just the story in the person's head who is now the, the running the business. It's, the, you know, everybody else would be fine if they sold the business, but it's, that's what they feel. And I, and I'm mm -hmm. dealing with a family right now that, you know, realistically, the son has no business worrying about keeping the business going. He just doesn't. And on the, you know, on the other side of the country, it just really, it doesn't make, it doesn't make any logistical sense, but like it's been around for over a hundred years and I don't want to be the one. And so I will figure it out some way, shape or form. Even if I'm not the one running it, I'm going to get, make this happen. It's a lot of pressure to put on yourself mm -hmm. um, to, you know, let's talk about just traditional business for a second, non-family owned businesses on average, publicly traded companies last about 15 years. I think it's less than that even, okay? So, you know, and I don't, I don't need to quote statistics or anything like that, but I guess my point is that we need to stop worrying about the shirt sleeves, the shirt sleeves, and put the pressure on, am I the one that, you know, that lost the family business or, you know, stopped running the family business? I think we need to just be focused on the good stuff. Focus on the wonderful things that we've done, the time that we've been here, the, the stories that we've created, the ripple effect of all the people that we've touched throughout the years that we've been around. I mean, think about, you know, how many employees work full time at the candy shop today? So uh, one of the problems we're having right now is finding full time staff. So uh, the majority of my staff is all part time. OK, uh, so right now, uh, full time, it's just myself and my sister. OK everyone else are part-timers. So there's, I think right now there's 12 of us right now. Okay. But so whether it's part-time or full-time employees that are there, they go home from your place of work and they, you know, whether they have children or no children or spouses or no spouses or partners or no partners, whatever the case may be, they go home and they interact with other human beings somewhere along the line. And so what happens at your candy store, what happens with how you treat people and what you're doing with those people and the stories of, you know, the grandfather, the, the husband and wife and the grandkids and, and those things happening, it matters. It matters every single day. And you guys have been doing it for over a hundred years. Yeah. So yeah. Um, talk about, I, I, I want to talk about, paint the picture for us holiday season comes up, how many family members, how many friends, what's, what is that like? Uh, <laughs> it, it's intense. Uh, so first of all, uh, I'm a huge Christmas fan. I have been for years. My whole family has been for years. Uh, okay. And so what ends up happening is Halloween, we actually close a little early because we actually used to do a bunch of charity stuff for Halloween with kids and stuff. So we've just kind of made that tradition of closing early so that we can close the store and move on. Um, but typically Halloween day, we're 
de- we're taking all the Halloween stuff down because we allow ourselves one day to decorate the candy store uh, for the holidays. And it's a huge transformation. It goes from dark and, you know, creepy to like so many Christmas lights you want to, you know, you could go blind. So we, um, that becomes a huge party for me. So a lot of my friends and family will come and hang out and do that with us. And I'll order pizzas or pasta or whatever. You know, obviously there's some wine. Um, And if my one cousin comes, she'll bring like two bottles of Patron for herself and then she'll be great uh, for about an hour and then I'll find her on the floor. But um, no, we actually, it, it is, it's almost like a big party. And again, because you own a family business and all my friends and family know how crazy we are, we kind of do these like little kind of impromptu nightly, like small parties or get together. Yeah. So like if, um, cause I've always got, I get invited to these huge parties and I can't go cause we're just too busy or like I have a third shift working and I can't leave. So, uh, I, it kind of turns into, Oh, Michael, Tuesday night, I'm coming down just so you know, if you need help. So then five or six people come down and they bring food and we hang out and we chat and we have a good time, but like we're packaging like a product for a corporate client, like, or, you know, we're making fudge upstairs with hairnets on and taking goofy pictures, you know, like, so it really does become like smaller holiday parties, but it's just surrounded by the candy store. And all my friends have gotten into it. I have uh, a great group of a great circle of friends. I have, um, a lot of my friends will even kind of just because they know how stressful it is, but they love the experience of the candy store. I have a friend, her and her boyfriend will actually help me on Valentine's day. So instead of them going and having like a nice romantic party or an evening or whatever dinner, she will come bundle herself up her and the two of them will go deliver Valentine's day presents all day long. Cause she's like, Michael, there's nothing better than bringing a box of chocolate strawberries to someone's face and just see their face light up. And like, all of that. And I was like, that's better than anything that I can do in my day. So, you know, every year, like I get the two of them automatically. So like stuff like that is just really, um, but everyone comes, I mean, cousins that I don't see any other time during the year, they're like, Michael, I'm not doing anything tonight. I'm coming down. I'm like, okay, I'll have a glass cold for you. So, I mean, it's, it is, it's just wonderful. And the fact that I can still enjoy the holidays myself by doing these things yeah. and um and then they know you that could have you know, as, you know 10 15 family members it sounds like or more a night wow How yeah so all of a sudden it becomes like oh okay and thank god you know if i'm here working really late you know they'll all uber home and i'll pull out my cot and sleep on my floor in my office uh because i've got to be here at six o'clock the next morning <laughs> right um so you talked about how the family doesn't have, you know, you really don't sell, you might celebrate, you know, um, February 18th as Valentine's Day or whatever, however you, you know, figure out Christmas is big for you. Is there a family tradition? This is totally off the, the business side of things, but is there just a family tradition that you guys, you just love? Is it? Oh, uh, well, years ago uh, when I was much younger, uh, because again, the holidays get screwed up for us. Yeah. We would always have a uh, post holiday open house. So we would actually invite all of our friends and family to our house. It was every, it was the weekend after the first, after no, uh, new year's. So okay. it was always this, the following Saturday after new year's <laughs> Eve, 
um, we would have this huge open house and we're talking like four or 500 people at our house. Oh yeah. Like, I mean, it was like, I mean, if we're not going to be able to celebrate the holiday, we're going to celebrate big time because on top of the fact that people go away for the holidays, so you can't make all the Christmas parties and everyone's so busy. And then everyone's done with cookies when you get to Christmas Eve because you've been eating them all month long. So to have like a nice little break and then have this huge party that was catered and again, four to 500 people in our house with tents set up outside, heated tents. It was, it was like the biggest blowout every year. And that became like a huge tradition. Once I got older and, you know, our priorities all changed, we stopped doing the parties on that scale. But what we do now is, so we don't really celebrate Christmas on Christmas day. We'll typically do it the weekend after. Okay. Um, it gives everyone a chance to take a break, you know, like after working and all of my family mm-hmm. is now in retail, okay. um, right. between my sisters and everyone else. And so a lot of the families in retail, so we're all exhausted when it comes Christmas day. It's like, no one wants to leave their house. So we'll just do it the following weekend. And it's kind of become that tradition has been ongoing since, you know, the parties stopped, but, uh, those parties were, whew, those were and I was a kid, so I wasn't, you know, I wasn't an adult at that point. But I mean, I remember from noon until probably three o'clock that morning, the following day, nonstop people in that house and, you know, food and people bringing stuff in with them and just a good time. Like there'd be a guy playing a piano upstairs on the second floor. There'd be, uh, you know, entertainment and karaoke down in the basement. I mean, it was just one of those, one of those parties that I, I, I really, miss those sure but to tackle that now oh my god <laughs> you know it's like doing like a gala party that you have to have at the on center at this point you know <laughs> wow good for you that's fun um as you're looking you mentioned that right now finding full-time people is hard what would you say are some of the the pains or obstacles that you're dealing with as a you know small family-owned business right now what are you what are your biggest ones that you're focused on you know, right now, I think the labor thing is huge right now, um, especially because uh, everything we do is by hand. In our business, there's very little machinery. There's no automation. So it's like when you buy a piece of chocolate, that's been handled by at least two people, okay. um, whether that was the person who made it and dipped it in chocolate or the person who cupped it and packaged it. Uh, so there's no um, there's no room for any kind of uh variation in cost on that because you have to pay you know you have to pay your labor and the labor is huge right now and you know one of the biggest struggles I think I've been facing is you know we have this uh you know the minimum wage increase that's happening every year in New York State um and I understand the living wage thing I totally get it um but my thing is does a 16 year old who's coming here for his first job with working papers deserve to make the same thing that my manager made four years ago at the same rate when I have to probably go back and wash the dishes that he's washing. Um, that's a huge thing for me. Uh, you know, cause I used to hire kids after school, they'd come down for a few hours and, you know, they do dishes or they do some janitorial stuff or they'd move boxes for me or open boxes or whatever we needed. And now I'm like, I, you know, to, offset that cost, you know, you have to keep that in mind. And then also like drivers, you know, I have to pay my drivers and, you know, cause we deliver within a 20 mile radius of Syracuse. 
So now I have the cost of the fuel and then you have the cost of the driver. And then someone's complaining that they're paying $25 for a delivery. And I'm like, that's my gas and the car. That's basically me breaking even. I'm not making any money on the delivery. That's on the delivery side. Yeah. On the delivery side. Um, so that's a huge thing. The labor is big. The second thing I think is right now the logistics and the resources um, are changing. Uh, COVID really did a number on a lot of other businesses. Distribution, uh, shipping is crazy right now. Um, you know, there's products that I use every day that aren't a very common product, but they're typically pretty plentiful with certain distributors. And like, I'm finding myself like, oh, well, you have the base container that I need, but you don't have the lid or vice versa. Like, oh, I always order the, the containers from you and they come packed the lids and the bases separately. You, why do you only have one? Like, it doesn't make sense. Like, aren't people ordering bases and lids together? But right. so that becomes kind of an interesting thing, trying to source materials and following that track um, and watching the cost. Yeah. And all of that. Okay. What is your vision for the business 10 years from now? Ooh. <laughs> uh, 10 years from now, I would hope that the business is continuing to grow. Um, this year has been very interesting in that we weren't hitting our numbers in the first and second quarter uh, that we were anticipating, especially post COVID numbers. So I'm hoping 10 years from down the line, we're continuing to grow. Um, I'm praying and hoping that um, we continue um, our search right now. We are uh, kind of, as you, can ex as you can see, you know, we're kind of splitting at the seams right now. Uh, for me to hire four more people, I need more space. And for the business to continue to be efficient, I need to hire four more people. So it's kind of like we're fighting our, ourselves in our growth. Um, so there's a little bit of that, um, hopefully maybe looking at a new facility for production as well as our sales and our, um, shipping, uh, and distribution, because that's becoming huge now with the internet and, um, our wholesale business has really, um, jumped, um, third quarter. Um, I think it's kind of because we're getting into fourth quarter and we've kind of tapped into some new resources for ourselves. So um, yeah, 10 years down the line, I would hope that I can actually have one more day off a week <laughs> by then um, where I don't actually come into the building. This is technically Thursdays are my day off, um, but I have yet to not be here on a Thursday. So let me clarify that. Like I'm, I'm here at some point on my day off anyway, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I hope to, you know, continue to grow, uh, maybe be able to bring in maybe one or two more full-time individuals to help us in that process and then uh yeah just keep moving forward I, I i really that's that's the biggest thing right now okay um let's think what haven't i asked you that i should ask you hmm I don't know. I mean, we've covered a lot of stuff and it's funny. Every time I do an interview, there's new questions that come out. So it's always one of those, like, I, I love doing interviews just because some people ask some of the most random questions, but they're the most intriguing to me. And I have to actually sit back and think about it. Um, I don't know. What's a, what's a question that you just think is kind of out there that you, I wouldn't well, you normally wouldn't about, ask. Yeah. Let's, you know what, normally I don't get into people's products for the most part. 
But what is your okay. favorite? What's your favorite candy? Uh, today, actually, I um, one of the staff members is helping me make uh, caramel today. So whenever I'm doing any kind of caramel product, it's kind of like, I think it's the smell that gets me every time. Cause then I'm finding myself like, okay, once we poured it out and there's a little bit left on the spatula, I'm eating that spatula as I'm walking away from production. Uh, <laughs> or like, I'll bring it into my office and like do paperwork. And I'm like, literally like pulling caramel off the spatula. Uh, it changes because we make so many different things. Like, I mean, one day I'll be into caramel. The next day, if we're working in truffles, you know, maybe I'm like having a ganache afternoon and like, I'll go get some ice cream and put some nice hot ganache as they're pouring it into the truffle molds and that, and that'll be my snack for the afternoon. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. What is, when you look at, you know, your through the years, what is the, the, the solid performer through the years for you guys? Uh, hands down, it's been the chocolate for potato chips. Uh, really? Those have been our biggest seller. They continue to be our biggest seller. They're number one and number four on our list. Okay. Um, because we have variations of them. Uh, so, but yeah, the, the milk chocolate covered potato chips are still our number one seller. And I think it's, uh, I think it has something to do with uh, the fact that it's kind of a little bit of a novelty. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's just something we've been known for. I mean, we're even using the same style containers we were using in the eighties. So that's kind of a little bit of, you know, history, nod to the history, um, in the past, but yeah, the chopper potato chips, I think it's the combination of the salty and the sweet people love that. It works. Right. I get that. Um, what is, let's see. Why is it, you know, you, growing the business 10 years from now, new location, putting those things together, why is that important to you? Uh, you know, I, I think there's something to be said about, you know, leaving something behind that is you. Uh, I actually had an amazing, this is kind of a little off topic, but I had an amazing conversation once with Bill Samuels Jr., uh, who is, who was uh, running Maker's Mark distillery down in Kentucky. Okay. I actually got a, got a chance to meet with him and chat and talk to him about stuff. And he was like, here I am running this business, this, this major company, and I'm just producing the same thing over and over again. So he ended up creating his own product, not, and the, one of the rules was don't screw up the whiskey. Uh, and that was the only thing that I think his predecessor, his parents told him. So he was like, okay, well, I can't change it but I can make something new. So he ended up creating another bourbon, which is now Makers 46, which is very, very popular among bourbon aficionados. Uh, but he actually put his name on the bottle, um, which is also kind of funny. Uh, so I think part of the growth for me is, you know, I'm in a space that my parents had found for the business and I'm utilizing it to the best of my abilities. And as I look forward into the future, I have a lot of aspirations. I think there's a great opportunity for us to do an event space that could be utilized um, for, you know, other, other features other than just producing candy. Yeah. I think there's a great opportunity, um, especially because I have a newfound respect and uh, knowledge of stuff like, you know, bourbons and whiskeys and spirits. I also love music. I think there's a great opportunity to do kind of like a, a speakeasy or a bar or a lounge that also is kind of tailored to candy. So like almost like a dessert lounge, kind of an idea, which would be I, really I great. That idea. 
you know, <laughs> like, yeah, go have dinner at a nice fancy restaurant and then have deserted speeches, you know, like that's kind of a, a neat kind of a concept for me. And uh, as we continue to move forward, we need, you know, this kind of, you know, I feel like I'm kind of fighting an uphill battle because again, we've been around for so long, but no one knows who we are because for the first 60 years of our existence, we didn't, we didn't have our name out there. God. So I'm like sitting here, like working with like a 40 year old business, but actually it's a hundred year old, well, a 40 year old name, but a hundred year old business. So um, really pushing it. Like now that we're tapping into a lot of new wholesale business outside of New York state. So we're reaching the Dakotas, we're reaching South Carolina. We're going like, I literally shipped out a uh, order this morning that was going to Las Vegas to a gift shop in Las Vegas. So getting our name out there is going to be huge. And I'd rather have, um, the next generation, whether that be my nephews or another family member or whoever that happens to be taking over, I'd rather have them have a running start already before um, kind of stepping in where I was, where I was trying to like, you know, give the business CPR, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that. that so I, I don't want to leave it in the same, you know, I think, you know, part of life is leaving something in better shape than it was when you got there. Love it. Um. What advice would you give to family members listening to this right now? If you you got 10 minutes with somebody that's, you know, struggling in their family business or about to enter their family business, what do you think are the important things that they should know? Uh, I think the most important thing would probably be kind of what happened to me leaving my career in theater and coming into the candy store. Uh, you know, I was getting to a point where I was dreading waking up in the morning. You know, there's nothing worse than laying in bed, trying to make an excuse for yourself on why you shouldn't go do what you're supposed to go do. And I found that happening earlier on when I go back and think about it, when I was doing stuff in theater, um, just dreading a lot of my activities, not to say that theater isn't wonderful because I still support the arts. Sure. Um, a hundred percent. It just wasn't for me. Uh, but going and going to basically going through a mental breakdown. I mean, I, I cannot tell you how important I think the, the mental stability of a leader is. Um, and if there's anything that I don't think business people talk about enough is that our mental health is huge because yeah. not only are you trying to take care of yourself and your business, you also have all the people under you who are relying on you. And so if you're not even at 90%, how much can you be helping them and making them move forward? So one of my biggest things is if you are not happy, if you're not excited about your work, if you're not willing to continue to learn, uh, I'm learning stuff every day. I mean, even after running the business for 15 years, there's new things that are happening or new ways of doing things. When you bring in new people, they might have better ideas. They might have different ideas that might be more beneficial. So I, I'm a huge proponent of if you're not happy in whatever situation you're in, if you're not excited about going to work, if you're not happy to work with your clients, or if you're not happy, you know, creating a product or working on marketing or, you know, reaching out to the people that you need to reach out to, to be successful, right. change, change it. You know, like if that I've seen, I've seen people in their forties and their fifties realize I did this because I needed the money. Okay. Are you happy? Other than the what money has provided you with, are you happy? I mean, right. I, I mean, they're driving around in nice cars, but I mean, are you happy? Yeah. And 
you'd be surprised how many people would say no or eh. and I'm like well then change it you're still you know I mean if tomorrow morning I woke up and I was not happy coming into work I'd be Connie guess what you're next let's go <laughs> I got the papers let's get this signed because I would go in my life is too short yeah. And after everything we've been through with COVID, after um, the ups and downs of running a family business, because I'm sure we've all experienced, you know, the ups and the downs. I, it, it's just too, it's just, if you're not happy, if you can't be excited about what you do, go find something that you're excited about. Yeah. I, and to your point, I think that that's for the generation that's currently running the business. Make sure that you're having conversations to help find out if it is you know, the next generation's passion or not. Because if it's not, that's where a lot of the issues start to stem from. Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to arm wrestle you in here. I'm going to guilt you in here for the legacy piece, but I haven't thought about whether this was something you'd be passionate about. Yeah. Good advice. And I, yeah. And I think that a lot of, again, it's those hard conversations that you don't like having with your family, you know, like, and I think it's one of the most important parts of it is they're your family. They're supposed to love you unconditionally. And yes, you don't have to always get along and they're not always going to like you. Right. You know, I, I've had the conversation with my sister right now. I don't like you. I love you, but I, I, we cannot continue to have this conversation. And it's just one of those things that you kind of, it, it, it's hard. Those are hard conversations. And if you don't have them, it just makes it worse because it just gets piled on top of pile on top of pile. And eventually, you know, sometimes it's too far gone and you can't ever get it back. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, organizations that you belong to to support you or books that you've read that you're like, oh my gosh, that was a great, you know, different, you know, book that gave me a different perspective or a training that you went to. What are some of the, anything popped to mind to, for you when I say that? So um, I have served on a whole bunch of different committees. Um, I'm very involved with a lot of different charities and organizations. I do stuff with David's Refuge. I do stuff with Loretto Foundation. We've done stuff with uh, ACR Health. And um, I mean, there's a whole list. I mean, if you've gone through some of our charity lists on our website, I mean, it, it's on and on and on and on and on. Uh, as far as being involved with a bunch of organizations, I've done some stuff with, we have an organization here in Syracuse called the Syracuse Tip Club, which okay. is an old um, networking, business networking organization, which is kind of nice because we kind of talk about business that we're all either involved in or something that's coming into town. Uh, you know, it's always nice because sometimes some of someone has like a little bit of uh, an, an edge on even the newspapers and the, the media. So you know, sometimes you're hearing stuff and then three days later, it's in the newspaper. You're like, oh, I didn't know about that. So <laughs> it feels pretty nice. cool. Um, I, uh, you know, we, we definitely find that we're doing a lot more, uh, a lot of more interpersonal stuff. So like I just joined an organization called Man the Mankind Project, okay. um, which is actually an international organization and basically uh, helping men move forward in the world. Uh, and be better at what you do. And I'm finding that I'm using a lot of what I'm learning through those or through an organization like that um, to find better ways of communicating, um, mm. simplifying what I'm saying and making sure that everyone and we're all on the same page. Um, and a lot of that comes down to just communicating properly and knowing how that works. Uh, and again, I would say to anyone that's a business operation, if you don't have a therapist 
You need to have a friend who could be a therapist <laughs> or someone that nods a lot. Like, yeah. mm -hmm. I get it. Uh, yeah. I have a, a book for you um, that I just finished reading that I feel just might be, you, you just said something that made me say, oh, I got to tell Michael about this. So it's called Leadership and Self-Deception by the oh. Arbinger Group. And it fits all about what you just said. And it's like, you know, how do we talk to people as people, not as a problem, not as, you know, not as, you know, something else, but how do we see and how do I be with people just thinking about them as a person? I can still be, I can still be firm. I can still be assertive, but how do I make sure that I'm doing that in a space, you know, that where I'm seeing you as a person and talking to you as a person and not talking to you about, the frustration and the problem that you're causing me right this second. Um, because at the end of the day, regardless of whether you're moving, you know, candy or you're doing, you know, financial services or you are constructing or deconstructing or manufacturing, whatever it is, at the end of the day, it's people that run our business. And so the better what you're talking about, you know, is adding to your EQ adding to your emotional quotient and being able to be better at those things. And the more we can do that work, that's how we create wonderful, wonderful things because at the end of the day, it's all about the people. Exactly. So and we go back to that ripple effect that we talked about before, you know? Yep. Uh, Michael, this has been fabulous. I hope that everybody... Um, I highly recommend going out and looking at the, the speechfamilycandy.com website. Um, take a peek at their about pages and um, the tour of the team. They're, they do them as, you know, they're not cartoons, but they're caricatures, and they're not caricatures, but very coolly done, uh, very right. impressive. And there's such a, just a great story. Um, they have some candy that I didn't want to talk about on the show that I just think is fabulous to, to go taking a peek at. And they do some um, pretty neat stuff. Um, pretty impressive. And if you're in Syracuse, um, it, it sounds like if you just see speech, it doesn't happen just in Syracuse because it's in different gift shops and whatnot. But if you see speech candy out there, um, make sure you try it. Yep. So. It's everywhere now. <laughs> well, Thank you, everybody. Um, you've been listening to Michael Speech from the Speech Family Candy Shop. And my name is Michael Columbus from Family Wealth and Legacy in Rochester, New York. This is the Family Biz Show. We look forward to having you listen in on the next episode. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Family Biz Show. We appreciate your time and trust to deliver the best guests and most cutting edge information to help you maximize your family business. Being part of a family is tough. Add a business to that and it gets even tougher. Tune in next week as we strive to ease your journey with the Family Biz Show. The content presented is for informational and educational purposes. The information covered and posted are views and opinions of the guests and not necessarily those of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Michael Columbus is a registered representative of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker dealer, member SIPC, and registered investment advisor. Insurance offered through Lincoln Financial Affiliates and other fine companies. 
Family Wealth and Legacy LLC is not an affiliate of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You may want to consult a legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances.